Welcome to the Deliberate Leaders Podcast. I am Allison Dunn, your host. Today's segment is part of our, of our Gems of Idaho series, where we feature an Idaho deliberate leader who inspires us for a brighter, bolder future. Today's gem uh, that we have with us, Annalisa DeMarta. Annalisa is, has a unique story of creating not one, but two successful self-funded startups. She's the co-founder of Ridgeline Insights, which is an Amazon performance agency with over 60 million in sales on Amazon, as well as the founder of Alone Cone, a direct-to-consumer uh, kids brand that maintains the number one kids rain boot on Amazon for the last three years. Her companies have earned her the Inc. Magazine 5,000 fastest growing businesses for the last five years in a row. Uh, Best Places to Work in Idaho, three years in a row, and Outside Magazine's Top 50 Best Places to Work, two years running. Annalisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you're doing this Idaho segment. I think it's such a cool way to just feature some of our local businesses. So thank you, and thanks for including me. My pleasure. So um, as I was just, uh, uh, we were just chit-chatting before, um, I happened upon your Lone Cone brand. Um, I'm not even sure how, but as describing to you, like I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I find it amazing and inspirational and um, was, uh, I, I think I was surprised when I found out that it was, you were right here in Boise, which I think is fantastic. So I, um, I kicked these off with a deliberate conversation. So I wanna first ask you, um, what would be your number one leadership tip that you would give to our uh, Deliberate Leader podcast listeners? Yeah, I love this question. And I love the previous folks you've interviewed their answers as well, because I've taken a couple pieces away from that. But my, I have two tips, but they kind of run together. The first one I've learned through experience is hire people smarter than you. It takes a ton of uh, humility, I think, to find people that are smarter than you and be, be willing to empower them. But surrounding yourself with folks, either through consultants, uh, advisors, or general staff, Having folks that are you know, smarter than you in the room that are able to help drive your business forward can really be such a difference maker. But the second piece of this that's taken me a few years to get to, and I don't know if it's maybe like an Annalisa thing or a female thing, or maybe it's just general business leadership thing, but um, it's also trust your gut. And so the thing that I've taken away over the last five or six years is I've been surrounded by these amazing, talented people that have you know, 30 years of experience or just, I just, yeah, just a ton of really neat uh, corporate experience and uh, just have gone through different things and that I, I have, I don't have that experience. And so when you get into a room and you're trying to make decisions, I would find myself questioning those decisions because all of a sudden this, this great person is asking me and they're poking holes into my arguments, which is exactly what I wanted them to do. But when you're put back on your heels, it makes you start questioning your own business and what you're doing, but it's really taken me a little while to come full circle and say, you know, I am in charge and um, I value those people's opinions and those insights, but really I'm the decision maker. And so I'll take what you have and I'll empower you to make decisions. But there are some things that I just need to trust my own instinct. I'm, I'm seeing all of the balls in the air and you're seeing a specific area. And so just being aware of that and being confident in that, I think is something that's taken me time to grow into. So that would be my tip. Uh, both are excellent tips. And I think that too often we question our own level of intuition, right? Where a thousand percent. 
a gut instinct. And I think when it's our baby, like we know what our babies need most often, but it is helpful to have people go, are you sure? Have you thought about, you know what I mean? So to challenge that. So and that can be really intimidating, especially when you have somebody, I mean, I'm under 40 and I'm female and I've been self-employed for years. And I all of a sudden either have a, an older male come to me or somebody with this robust background and they're asking me questions and it's really hard to stay stable and, and be confident, but yeah, you just gotta, you trust yourself. And I've just read an article um, about small businesses and how you don't have as much data, right? I don't, I, now I have a lot of data, but three or four years ago, I didn't have as much to make decisions off of. And so trusting your gut becomes really important, especially if you're a smaller base company. So trust your gut. Yeah. Um, and just to kind of pick up on that, like reading about the fact that, you know, there's more data than ever, but things aren't the same as they've been, you know what I mean? So we're looking at trends, like you can't even count on it, this acceleration that we're having in our world. Um, you, you have to have some instincts as well as the data for sure. Oh, such a crystal ball of insight. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah. And it, it's, it now becomes a guess. I think just given all the stuff that's going on, it's just throw a dart somewhere and hopefully you made a, the right decision. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you just kind of teed it up, but you, um, I appreciated when you sent me your bio, you were sharing, um, how very important you attribute your success to being here in Idaho. Can you kind of lean in on that and share what you mean by that? I know I would not be as successful if I wasn't based in Idaho. Um, we were lucky enough. So my husband grew up here and when we got married, he's like, man, I really want to move back home. And I was like, man, I just, I'm from New York. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I could live in Idaho. It just, every stereotype comes to mind, but he broke me down and it's been about 10 years and I, I love it. I couldn't imagine living anyplace else. And when we were getting our business off the ground, people just are generally a lot more open and supportive. So just through like kindness, people uh, taking me under their wing, I've met some amazing advisors uh, I first started out going to SCORE in Boise and those folks pointed me into some uh, really great dis- different support resources. I actually ended up finding my HR person who's a former Fortune 500 HR director who's really helped me curate an amazing team. And also Boise, I mean, our public land is something that you know no other state has and it's such a great reason to be here. And so we've been able to attain such wonderful talent because people made a lifestyle decision and our culture encourages people to get outdoors. We do unlimited sick time, vacation time, Fridays off. And I just really want people to have that ability to recreate in the place that they call home. And so being able to tie that back into Idaho, uh, you know, just really was able to get me the, these are great people. And then lastly, and it sounds basic and maybe a little, I don't know, but I was really thinking about this with funding. We have met some great bankers. Um, I'm self-funded, so I don't have any outside investors every dollar that comes in and out is mine. And so really having a good bank behind you, I've learned more and more is very important. And I would not have made bank connections. I know if I was in a larger city. So those three things have really made my business successful because I'm in Idaho. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Being someone who moved from um, the East coast. So I'm originally from New Hampshire and moved here eight years ago. And like, I resonate with what you're saying and thinking like, why here and not sure you do that, but then being in the very right place of where you're supposed to be for making your dreams come true. So um, I connect on that level for sure. Which business, um, so I assume that Lancome was your first business, correct? No, so we started our, we've had our agency for a long time um, and we needed a sandbox, which is kind of how Lone Cone was born. 
So our core business is this Amazon channel management where we work with brands, big and small. And actually a lot of them are Idaho based now, uh, which is really cool to see that Idaho has become this incubator of small startups uh, as where some cities seem to be full of just a lot of bigger corporations. So this is a really cool environment for especially small businesses. Um, but yeah, we would, we work with brands. We do like merchandising. So making those product detail pages, tell the brand story, you know, it's Amazon's another consumer touch point. So really making sure your brand story, all the product details are correct advertising and, um, you know, general Amazon logistics, Amazon can be a beast of a platform to work off of. And our team just knows how to handle all the supply chains, logistics backend. And so we help brands really execute and manage their Amazon strategy. So as a result, we needed a sandbox and I have three little kids and it kind of became this perfect storm of like, you know, I have all these theories about how Amazon works. And I'm also looking over here, looking at my kids not getting the product they needed. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to make my own product. And I remember my husband saying, that seems crazy. And I was like, I don't know, just let me just try this. And um, I ordered like 6,000 pairs a couple places five years ago, worked with some really cool local artists, got these patterns on some boots. And when we launched them, it was like August 1st or 2nd. I remember by the middle of August, we had sold out, which blew my mind because I was looking at it not in terms of product. I was looking at it in terms of Amazon expertise. So I was like, holy cow, like our team is great. Like we know what we're doing and I'm confident in this. And my husband was like, okay, you got to keep this going. And I was like, oh, no, no. I just solved my, my, my curiosities. And he was like, you just launched this product. It's a number one bestseller. Why don't you keep this going? And I was reluctant, but then I kind of went off into a corner and brought in a small team a year later and yeah, uh, grew the brand. So it's kind of a, I guess, a story of reluctance and dumb luck. So, but it's the coolest thing I've done to date. It is. Um, it just uh, being a, I consider myself to be a puddle jumper at heart and <laughs> yes. rains and the rain and you know, it totally speaks to me. I'm super curious, where does the Lone Cone name come from? So when we first started, I wanted to be outdoor families. I love this concept of getting families outdoors. We've got three kids under the age of 10, and it was something I felt really passionate about. My husband and I are really into just outdoor recreation. And so uh, an artist had driven, driven, drawn us this beautiful pine cone logo. And so it was outdoor families with the pine cone. And my attorney was like, so that's a great name, but you can't trademark it. It's just like too easy, generic, like you'll never win. And so it was like this soul crushing thing that I was just like, so you're sitting there driving along. I'm like, okay, how can I make this name work? And I don't know. It just kind of came like, like lightning bolt inspiration of like loan gum. I love that. Like it rhymes. It's easy to spell. Like it just, and I ran it by a couple of friends and they're like, no, that's got some teeth to it. So that's, that's it. And then my attorney thankfully came back and said, Hey, turns out you can trademark that one. I was like, okay. You so, can yeah. trademark that. Yes, I, you can trademark it. Yeah. So I was like, well, all the stars aligned. Yeah. That's funny. Um, where, um, where do you find the inspiration for your designs or the products that come out of there? Because I just find them so fun. Thank you. That's probably the best part of running the business. Uh, I have kids and I have friends, their kids, friends, just, you look around at different prints. They take inspiration from everything. Like I was just going through cleaning out the garage this past week out of Christmas supplies. And there were some cute little other animals with snow caps on them. And I was like, shoot, we should take this and run with it. Like, why don't we have anything more woodland themed? And I'm really lucky. So speaking of Idaho gems, we've got uh, two talented local artists that we work with. And I really attribute a lot of, it's all their creativity. 
we kind of work with them back and forth to curate the design and really bring it more to life but it's it's their talent and I'm just lucky to have them in my back pocket that's fantastic I just I appreciate um, I appreciate all the the color that they have in them thank you it's a lot of color <laughs> it is. Um, you mentioned um, that you have chose the path of self self funding. So, um, can you just kind of share um, what the basis of that was, and um, how do you, you know, like uh, choose to do that versus you know, like all the talk and rage is about venture capital and you know everything that goes along with um, SBA loans and whatnot. So, um, can you talk through kind of your thinking on that and how that has served you well? Yeah. So I think when you start a business, I think the thing that I felt, so when I went, when I was going through graduate school, it felt like everybody was uh, working on pitch deck, investor decks, and that seemed really intense. But then we, you know, we watched Shark Tank and we kind of idealized this like investor way. And that's the way you should start a business, right? It's using somebody else's money. We were lucky enough when we started this with $50 and it started off with just learning how to sell on Amazon and eBay, buying rare books, used books, and that kind of escalated. So I was able to take the money early on and just keep reinvesting it. And because my husband and I both had full-time jobs, I have in not having to live off that income. It was just easy to kind of start this little nest egg. It was like slow and steady, learn from your mistakes. There was no consequences. And then finally, after like three or four years of just this casual thing, there was enough money that it was like, wow, we're making enough now that we can quit our jobs. And so as you grow, you need more access to capital. And that's where it became these dividing moments when reaching out to resources and advisors and asking people for guidance. Because there is a part of me that always wanted to like, maybe I, you know, you watch Shark Tank and you're like, oh man, what are the sharks can really blow up your business. They'll give you this injection of cash. So what if they take 60% of my business? I'm going to have all these other resources and, um, you know, maybe just different technologies and different access to people and different platforms. There was some kind of like white or, you know, white knight, shining horse kind of sentiment there. But really it was like, I was talking to somebody about this a couple of years ago. And they're like, you know, you know, your business better than any other investor. Stay the course. If you don't need the money, don't get the money. And that kind of stuck with me that it's right. Everything that I'm growing is mine. And that's kind of cool. And I get as a result, I get to control how I divvy those funds. So we're really big into profit sharing. And if I know if I had an investor, that investor would want to be compensated and my team wouldn't be compensated in the same format. So I love having that. And I think, um, you know, everybody's got a different approach and feeling, but for me, owning that responsibility and not having other voices in the room makes me feel better. But I've also learned that I can have uh, non-fiduciary people in my life that can give me some guidance and feedback for things that I'm not seeing. And I don't have to bring them in as a stake, as a shareholder. So uh, it's, not a, it's not an easy path, but it's definitely something not talked about. And I think it's a heck of a lot more common than most people you know, having a, a room of investors in their business. So um, yeah, so it's, it's a struggle, but it's something I encourage people to take the leap and you'd be surprised how little capital you probably need to get your business off the ground. I think that's a really um, good tip. I think uh, what is also really beautiful about your story is you're, you know, you come from a partnership standpoint of with your husband, correct? Yes, ma'am. Often people um, seek additional funding thinking they're gaining partners in their business and does it off too often does not end up being that way. 
I hear a lot of stories and I was just talking to a couple of friends who are going into business and the only advice I'd give to them is like plan for the divorce. There's going to be a time where you guys are going to be at odds. And so what are the things or how do you carve up responsibilities? Like, what can you do to help, you know, keep that relationship going? What do you own and how do you not become resentful? It's all those like school projects. Remember those projects today where you're like, why am I doing this group work? Like, where am I ever going to use this? And that's it, right? It's like you're with the group where like there's some all-star student and there's somebody who's like, you know, mailing it in and that's your business partner. And you just, how do you balance that out and, you know, not become a victim of, uh, yeah, poor partnerships. Right. Um, so I too, um, was raised in a family business. Um, so you and your husband, I run a loan cone, both of the agencies together. Correct. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Yeah. And- then you have also three young children, um, all under the age of 10, I think you said. Yeah. Okay. Um, tell us like, where, where do you guys find that division for yourselves and any other tips of, um, a husband and wife team or partnership teams that are thinking about going into business, like how, how to do it well or lessons learned. Yeah. I mean, it's taken us a long time to get here and it's not for everyone. Every time I tell someone, I'm like, Oh, my husband, and I work together. The first react is, Oh, I could never. And I think it's actually a beautiful thing. Like Ken and I spent a lot of time together, but we've learned over the time to divide and conquer and use what we're good at. I love that we both have the, the, um, I love that we both have the capabilities of, you know, we kind of know how the business works so we can support each other. We can, um, you just know how the good and the bad, and we can celebrate all those milestones. So I think it's a really cool thing. Um, the things that I've really learned is just divide. It's like any other relationship. And so, you know, having staff, especially in the early days, and there was like three or four of us and we're sitting around a table, there was definitely a time where um, people would tell me something and they'd be like, well, don't you tell Ken? And I'm like, no, because when I come home at night, I want to talk about my kids and my family and my vacation planning or whatever else is going on. I'm not talking about your situation, like go to Ken. And so there's been this you know, way of like, even though we're married, treat us as independent people. And that's taken us a long time. And so we kind of sort of learned to set the record straight of, Hey, you know, Ken's Ken, Anna's Anna, you know, don't, don't look at us as one singular person. And I think from a marriage maintenance standpoint, it's been really hard to sometimes you get into fights at work or sometimes you get fights at home. How do you not carry that into the the next setting? Well, it's, it's a secret holding your breath, biting your tongue. Um, definitely starting myself with really great people that, um, just, you know, put up with us. And that's part of the charm. I think of being a small business that, you know, they know that if we fight, it's like, Ooh, mom and dad aren't fighting. Ken and Hannah, the business partners are fighting. And that's different than, you know, we're going to go home. We're going to be fine. We're, but we're, you know, and I think the last thing I think that we've, we talked about this with actually an HR person recently, we, our marriage comes first. And I think that's really important because even though my livelihood is here, um, putting your marriage first, right? That's the pillars of everything. And so it was like, no matter what's occurring, it doesn't matter. My marriage and my family will always be a priority. And so everything else can kind of go to the sidelines. It's just, you know, I only have one, you know, this big priority and that kind of keeps things in perspective. Um, between your partnership, do you each have like your own, um, area that you kind of control the realm of? So, um, like my husband would be logistics and contracts and, um, anything systematization based, and I would be creative strategy. How about you? How is it divided in your business? Yeah. So that's where like, so Lone Cone came from, uh, when Ken and I were working together, we were like two cats in a paper bag. And so 
when he was like, go take this and run with it. So I did, I went off in the corner and I was like, I'm going to go do my thing with my team. And then at some point he was like, you know, maybe I want to be involved too. And I was like, oh gosh. And so then I had to like put people under me to report to him because I was like, I cannot come home and report to you. So we do, um, I guess within the agency, Ken, tends, Ken handles a lot more of the agency and agency management and I'll do supporting roles. Uh, so maybe like some back end, like people run into issues with catalog management or something, I'll kind of step in and pinch hit. Um, but I typically tend to oversee our own in-house brands and, you know, help drive those things forward. But yeah, it does, it's a lot better to be on opposite sides of the fence. Fantastic. <laughs> um, I don't, I'm asking this question not because I feel like it deserves a special answer, but I feel like um, if asked the same question, uh, there's things to be learned. So that's my position on this as I ask the question. Um, what would you say are some of the lessons that you've learned specifically as a female entrepreneur? So that one more time, what are the lessons I've learned? What are some of the lessons you've learned as a female entrepreneur? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I'm going to go back to what I said in the beginning of the tip is trust your gut. I think um, I was learning a little bit about imposter syndrome where people don't feel as confident in the roles that they're given. And it's taken me a long time, I think, because as I've been, I've been self-employed for so long, I haven't had an external validation in the corporate world, right? So in the corporate world, you have this, you know, this job and maybe people are promoting you and hiring you, and that's kind of validating your success. When you're self-employed, even though I've had all of this great milestones and all this growth and these things that, you know, I can attribute to direct decisions that I've made or I've made with Ken, it still was a hard thing to like, for me to justify and say, look what I've done. So, um, uh, I feel really fortunate that, um, I'm sorry, not fortunate. I, I feel that, uh, I'm losing my train of thought. I apologize. I hear my dog scratching at the door, which is always the problem of being at home. Um, yep. I think really just, I think being more confident in myself is probably the biggest thing that I've taken away and it. And that seems really basic, but it's something that, um, has really helped me grow quite a bit of just knowing that all the experience that I've earned and I'm able to apply that to every situation has been, has been huge. So I don't know if that's helpful for other people to hear, but that's been kind of my big realization in the last like year, year and a half. I think it's um, some great insights. And for people who maybe are in the corporate world and aren't getting that validation, maybe we do need to find it within ourselves to get the confidence and go do something. Um, and often we do rely on others to give us that validation of that we're on the right path. And as an entrepreneur, male or female, sometimes it's a pretty solo game. And so that's, you know, to recognize that. It's, um, very, it say it's lonely at the top. It is it very is. lonely at the top. Uh, yeah. So I definitely hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So you've, um, you've accumulated a lot of recognition as a best place um, repeatedly. Um, what um, are the attributes that um, you put in your work culture intentionally or deliberately um, and that are keeping you landing on that top list? I have to say of all the things that we've done, probably the coolest thing about running this business and the thing that like really keeps me motivated is having this team of people. Like that was kind of an unintended consequence. And the thing that I, Ken and I really just share is treat people how like you want to be treated. And, you know, we, you know, have our mission and our values, but it's really at the end of the day, it's pretty basic. It's like, 
I want to have flexibility in my life. I want to prioritize my family. I want to be able to also have balance, but there's also things that are really important to my job that I need to be able to make that time for as well. So I, we treat, we treat our staff like a grownups and they're adults. So when we hire, I need to make sure that people can work as part of a team, but also they need to be independent and, and be able, you know, somewhat entrepreneurial and handle some things that are vague. Um, I think the driving force for is like, you know, I want to have medical benefits and I want to have a 401k and I want to be motivated financially. So what are the things that we need to put in place to make sure that our team feels like they're part of this business? Um, a big thing we started when we've, when we've, well, we've always done, but we really are into it is open book financials, which as a small business, especially when I'm self-funded, that's, that can be a little bit intimidating to say, this is, this is the open book you guys. And okay, let's, let's, you know, operate off of this. But I think it's been really empowering, especially having younger folks that, you know, they have access to our systems and they can see the money that's coming in and coming out. But I think it's really powerful when like, you know, my junior graphic designer worked on something for a client and they can directly see the sales and the conversion and all, of, you know, there's the neat things that have occurred as a result of their direct work. And they can say, you know, you did this, like, this was a really you know, small thing that maybe took you a uh, half a day, but look at the impact this has made on the organization or like, Hey, you made this one supply chain decision and it saved us like, you know, $300,000, like that's real money. And as a result, here's how we divide up that bonus and say, thank you to everybody. You know, I think that's been really powerful to just offer some education to staff, but also like, okay, there's a real cause and effect that's occurring. So long-winded way of saying transparency, uh, as much as I possibly can and treat people like I would want to know, like, no, because I said so, but here's the financial reasons why, or here's the goal and what's going on. Kind of giving people like more insight than just go do your, your thing like a robot. So. Yeah. I very much respect your uh, choice and culture of open book management. Um, I come from an open book management, which is where I, I learned everything that I know about business and can then share with others. That's so um, nice to hear because <laughs> sometimes I feel like, are we making this right decision? But yeah, you are, you are. And um, having people understand the impact that they have, that is like at, in a business world, often like that's the proof, right? And when we don't show it to them and we don't show them how they impact it, everyone loses in the end. Um, especially if you also do profit sharing, they can understand the impact that they can have in every little thing that they do. So it's so powerful. What would be, I mean, I know that I encounter a lot of resistance because I am very much about being transparent um, with the business, but it's super vulnerable at the same time. So how to overcome that vulnerability and um, what tip would you give to someone who might be willing to do it and just is just not feeling like they're not sure if it's right for them and how that will, you know, what they should expect from their team once they show? Well, there's definitely a, a way you can show your financials without breaking down every chart of accounts, right? right. So like right. My, my office overhead doesn't, you know, doesn't need to include every single line item. And you can certainly dumb, not dumb down, but you know, you want to see the parts of the business that people are working on. Um, and they, you know, I want people to see what, what goes into our margins. I want, because I think if they have knowledge, that's where then their wheels start turning. So I'd say, don't hesitate. It's like, you know, I think get over yourself. Um, you know, if you have something to hide, then that's a whole different story, but probably you don't. Um, 
but having people see what goes into, I mean, it, you know, as simple as um, this was the first year we did it, which I feel so silly for not doing it sooner, but doing total compensation statements for people. Because as we were going through salaries, there was this massive disconnect. We had one of our employees leave right around Christmas time and he'd gotten a job offer elsewhere. And we did an exit interview and the, the our HR person had asked, um, okay, well, let's talk about what, you know, you left because of compensation. Did you factor in all of these benefits, your bonuses, your PTO? Let me calculate that. And he was like, he kind of sat there with a dumb look and said, oh man, I actually think I was making more here now. I feel really silly. Um, he's like, well, I guess it's too late. And she's like, I guess so. <laughs> and, but it was an eye-opening moment that I was like, you know, we pay people and, but we're not breaking down. Here's what it costs to have you. Here's what it, you know, here's, here's, we make in, in the investments and we do unlimited sick time and vacation time. So if I tell you how many weeks you had off, that can be pretty powerful. But the same way with the financials that showing my financials, people can see that I'm not making millions of dollars by the time we start scaling back and saying, here's how much employees cost and here's how much our technology costs and here's how much our advertising costs, you know, all of those things, people can start seeing ways of maximizing that spend, finding automations. Like it's amazing how much people come to the table prepared to contribute, to make your, your business better when you give them that information. So don't hesitate. Yeah. Just, just do it and do it in a way that, you know, makes you feel comfortable as well. Mm. Thank you. I, um, I hope anyone who's on the fence on it, that that's some good tips. Thank you very much. Um, one of the things as I was perusing your website, I'm, um, I was appreciating the level of give back that you give to the community. And I think that is one of the things that definitely makes someone a gem on my list. Thank you. Can you, can you talk about um, what you're doing and what kind of impact that's making? We have just been lucky. I think uh, United Way has always just knocked on our door. And so they're just such a great organization. And it kind of, um, I love that they touch every other organization. So I don't feel like, I think part of the problem with being in a small community is it's pretty hard to, you know, give somebody, hey, here's 10,000 backpacks. They're going to go, that's nice. There's only like 600 kids in this entire school. So the United Way is a great place where they just have done a, a phenomenal job of distributing products or coming to us and saying, hey, there's a school that's in need of footwear. Like, you know, we had a big refugee population I think, well, we still do, but we had a, a big influx, I think in like 2019. And I remember them coming to me and saying, hey, we've got all these kids that are literally wearing flip-flops in the snow. And I was like, that's crazy. We sell snow boots. Like, can you give me some sizes and some genders? And like, let me put together an assortment for you guys and we'll get those too. And it was only a couple hundred pairs, but it was enough that it made an impact to that small community. But I would not have known that for the United Way. So we do that and we keep an eye on our national stuff, but we really... Um, I think I really just prefer to give back at home just because I can see the immediate, the immediate effects. And we, our team loves to also volunteers. We do a lot with public lands and clean up. We just cleaned up the Boise river last week, just doing some brush cutting, which is a good team building activity and mm-hmm. bring your shovel and, you know, put on some boots and let's your do this. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, well, thank you for um, being, um, being someone who does um, serve the needs of our community. That's fantastic. Happy to. I mean, this community is such a great support, so it's an easy way to give back. Yeah. Um, I had um, two key questions that I definitely wanted to make sure that I also um, kind of circled back around. Um, You have um, uh, two types of, do you have an advisory panel and then you have brand ambassadors? Um, What role do they, what role do they serve within your organization? And why is it important to get that type of input and feedback? 
Man, this is something that I didn't realize the power of. We stumbled into it sort of accidentally, um, but we started this mom advisory panel out of this need to get consumer feedback. So, you know, it was like, you, one thing there, like you sell a product, you get some product reviews or you get some feedback in the returns, but it wasn't enough. And so um, my marketing director had this great idea. She's like, well, let's just, you know, reach out to people and say, do you want to be part of this panel? And I think we have about 150 people across the country. I mean, a lot of them are based here in Boise. We used to do in person. And it's a great place where I can uh, ask for customer feedback on existing products. I can preview some products with them. They can do product testing for us. Um, and so our moms, or the, the moms, mom advisory panel is the name, but it's, it's parents. Uh, and sometimes there's some grandparents in there. And it's just it's amazing how passionate people are. We pay them in product and gift cards and we keep them in the loop with, you know, things that are going on. And it really blows my mind how much customers want to be part of your decision-making experience. So I would encourage anybody, it's not an easy task to take on. It's not impossible. It just takes, you know, a commitment, but having that customer feedback, especially your customers can really make or break uh, some poor decisions you would have made on your own. And then we have brand ambassadors that are people that are across the country that will do, you know, some social media influence. But for us, it's really, uh, we do, before I put a product in the market, I want to have so many hours of play-proof testing. So really take that product, run it into the ground. They'll take pictures, document their experience. And that's been great just to get that additional level of feedback of a different user experience. And so it's, we send them products once a quarter. They journal it, any, and if they have tips or trips, tips or tricks or anything that they've discovered, that's also just a great marketing tool, and it kind of validates that our products are good quality or not good quality. And here's what, here's how we should change it. But yeah, and it's a great, it's a great way. Again, just paying people in product, you'd be surprised how much, um, how much information they'll give you, and it's a wonderful way to get that customer feedback pre-launch. Uh, so if you have a product, I would highly encourage you to get in touch with your customer base and really tap into how they're using the products. And you just put the offer out there and people raised their hands. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I feel sheep. I mean, I feel silly saying that, but yeah, it, I, it, I mean, we've done this now for three years. So now I'm much more comfortable with it. But when we first started, I was like, Oh, people are really going to do this. I would get eight to 12 women in Boise in our office downtown at six o'clock at night. And they would come in there and spend two, two and a half, three hours with us telling me about how they pack their lunch and all the things that go into it. And the coolest thing though, is afterwards, like a lot of these women became friends. Like they just stayed in touch because it's Boise, right? Everyone wants to be friends with each other, but yeah, people just are totally cool giving you their opinion and feedback and one step further. And it's amazing. So powerful. Thank you for sharing your insights and, and why some, why companies should do that. Um, I, I'm going to wrap up in just a moment, but I do feel like it's important for me to uh, point out the, the concept of the Amazon strategy and um, how uh, fortuitous, I guess, might be the word I'd use on um, ensuring that you're utilizing that marketing platform. Um, if you have a product, um, what would be your, what do you see happening in the future? Is there going, it, what shifts do you see happening, if any? with e-commerce and the Amazon marketplace and all that. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be an interesting shift in the next, I mean, with supply chain, I think, I mean, where I saw that was back to school, I was shocked going into target like two weeks ago that there was school supplies were hit or miss. 
And I think Christmas is going to start being, you know, buy your Christmas presents early is kind of the message. Um, so I think there'll be this, this interesting shift. Um, Amazon's also used to have this, you know, this giant uh, group of Chinese sellers. And as they've changed their policies and some of their backend stuff, that's kind of going away, which is opening more of an opportunity for US-based sellers. Um, so I, I see, I don't, I don't see Amazon going away anytime soon. And the thing that we communicate with our brands on the agency side is Amazon really is probably more important than your consumer website. It's getting a heck of a lot more traffic and customers go there with the intention to buy. So if you are a brand selling a consumer-based product, there's a lot of people we talk to that's like, oh, I don't really want to sell on Amazon. It's like, cool, you don't have to, but own your Amazon space. That is right. precious real estate. Put your brand on there. Customers are making comparisons. They're, that's the Google of product search. Yeah. So if you, are, if you have a product-based company, you need to be on Amazon. Have that page dialed out because if you don't, somebody else will or your competitor will. And that, that is the number one place that people go there for generic search terms. And if you're not there for the word eyeglass case and you sell eyeglass cases, you're not relevant. So uh, I think Amazon is not going away. So I think we need to embrace it and use it as part of our, one more consumer touch point. Um, hopefully um, listeners who do have products know exactly what you've just said, uh, but just to, just to uh, make sure that it's like really clear, if you have a product and you haven't um, at least um, live, um, have your product feed as a cost per click on there, um, it's really important that you show in that space, regardless of whether you sell it through Amazon or not. So. Exactly. Have an Amazon presence. Own it 100%. Yeah. 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 Fantastic. Um, Annalisa, I just so much appreciate um, what you're doing, what you stand for, and how well you're representing Idaho as an entrepreneur here. So I just appreciate all of your insights today. Thank you so much for including me in the Idaho discussion. I think it's super cool to just be part of this, this community of people that really do support each other. So thank you. And if anyone's listening and uh, wants to connect via LinkedIn or find us on social media, I encourage you. I, I love talking to all business owners, but especially Idaho business owners, because it's, hey, we can go grab a cup of coffee or, you know, do something. So um, yeah, sit, please, please reach out. Yeah. So I will, um, I will include ways to connect with Annalisa in the show notes um, inside of both our YouTube channels and our podcast. And I've got a quick offer for you, if you bear with me for just a moment. Um, listeners, if you found great value from today's episode here at Deliberate Leaders Podcast, I would appreciate it if you'd write a review on one of your favorite listening channels. Um, if you take a screenshot of your review and share it on LinkedIn and mention myself, Allison Dunn, Annalisa DeMarta, Deliberate Directions or Deliberate Leaders Podcast, we will gift you a one for your membership to the world's number one business book, Summary Services for Leaders. It's our gift to help you stay on top of the latest ideas, decide on which books you want to actually spend the time to buy and read next, and engage your teams. Annalisa, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure. Thank you, Allison. 